Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And so today, what we're going to look at is something that that mostly we look at and think, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Why is this important? Does it apply to me? And how could it apply to me? So it's concerning oaths and vows. So it says, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And don't take an oath by your head, for you can't make one hair black or white. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So there there are multiple things going on with this, and and it doesn't seem to be, how is it applicable to us? Why is it here? Well, the the main reason, again, I'm going to have to keep reminding you and me what Matthew's doing. (laughs) He he is including material that primarily has to do with Jews, and and it's instructive for them, these these Jews who have become Christians, um, it's instructive for them to understand how to sort of import their Judaism into the church. And the, one of the ways to do that is here to do with oaths and vows. And basically what all Jesus is saying is don't do these things. Don't take these things at all. It's never been something that God encouraged, to be honest with you. Uh, it's an interesting thing to, to say, well, what, why are they doing this? And, and it seems to have been a common occurrence uh, in Israel, and particularly at the time of Jesus, people would take these odd vows, things that don't make any sense at all to me um, when I read it. Um, but but they will not just say it; they'll they'll vow it to the as though it were somehow um, the most important thing that you had to do. Uh, in spite of the fact that much of the rabbinic literature on it is, is almost ridiculous, to be perfectly honest with you, and I say that as somebody who has just gone through, I, I get a daily dose of Talmud is what this thing is called. I get it every single day. It takes about five or six minutes to read it, and it's really commentary on pieces of the Talmud. And so uh, the reason I do it is because I want to know and understand. I don't not perfectly because it doesn't matter to me that much, um, but I want to understand what oral law is, how it's still effective in some shape, form, or fashion in Judaism today, but more, I want to know what it did look like um, at the time of Jesus so that I can understand a little bit about why he even talks about things like vows. There, there are certain forms that they have to take, and oh, I was going to tell you about this Talmud thing. I've just spent like three months going through Tractate Nadarim, N-E-D-A-R-I-M, um, with this daily dose, and and that is, it's 90 days, because it, it's 11 chapters, 90 pages on vows in the Talmud. I mean, it's that big a deal, and, and it's so, the minutia of it, it is mind-numbing, to be perfectly honest with you. It, it's one of those things, I don't know why anybody would have ever taken a vow, but you see them occasionally in Scripture. You see him a couple of times in the New Testament, in fact. John the Baptist, um, he is, his father is told that he, he's not to eat certain things, not to cut his hair, all that kind of stuff. Those are Nazarite vows. Usually a Nazarite vow was for a season of time. You see Paul, in fact, that, that's the thing that gets Paul into trouble. 
right? It's because he agrees to take these people into the temple who had reached the end of the period of their vow, and so they went in to make a sacrifice to say the vow period has ended. And so then he gets accused of taking uncircumcised people into the temple, which didn't happen, um, but, but it ends up being the thing that they try and charge him with and ultimately what gets him in custody for the rest of his life. So John the Baptist has a Nazarite vow. Samson has a Nazarite vow. But usually a Nazarite vow was something you did for a period of time. It wasn't a, a permanently binding vow on you. But, but in their cases, it was. Now, Samson transgressed against his. Um, we, don't, we assume John did not. Um, but, but who knows? <laughs> so anyway, it, it, God never like, condoned it. In Deuteronomy 23, you get, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you'll be guilty of sin. In other words, if you make a vow to God, he's, he's, a, he's saying here, do it right away, do that vow right away, because God's going to require it of you. I mean, you, you took a vow, and a, a, a vow is a different than an oath. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, he says, but, but God will require it of you. If you make a promise like that to the Lord, we're using certain kinds of language, but if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. What does that say to you? Don't vow, right? If you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. Be careful to do what's past your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. And it's so it's part of the law in Deuteronomy that's given, and it just kind of jumps in there. It's kind of out of nowhere. But, it, but the main place where you find laws concerning vows is over in, in Numbers 30. And, and it talks about specifically about what happens if a man makes a vow, what happens if a wife makes a vow, what happens if a young girl makes a vow. Can it, they can be annulled by the father, but only under certain circumstances. It, it is, like I said, it is mind-numbing, the detail that they go into about what in the world, uh, who can... Who can uh, annul a vow, and it makes a difference if the girl is engaged, the father and the husband both have to do it, um, and they have to do it the same day that she made it, and they have to do it in certain ways, and I mean, it's a mess. I don't know why you would ever take a vow. There's nothing in Scripture that commends anybody taking a vow, and so here Jesus is telling them, you've heard it said, don't swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you've sworn, which is exactly that passage from Deuteronomy 23, which says, if you've made a vow, be quickly to do it, so you're not charged with sin, and Jesus says, just don't do it, don't swear by anything, and, and you know, the, it's, it's funny, you, you look at this stuff, and they take it very seriously, they take it very seriously even today, this whole idea, so let's in Numbers 30, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath, imposing an obligation on himself, he shall not break his pledge. He must carry out all that has crossed his lips, which is exactly the same thing Deuteronomy 23 says. Um, it, the prohibition on swearing falsely is one of the 12 commandments. And so when you take an oath or a vow, you're swearing. That, that, that applies to that. Don't bear false testimony. And so this, this whole tractate, Nadarim, deals with the laws of vows. It, it's a big, big deal. Like I said, there's 90 pages of the Talmud that's devoted just to these things, and it's 11 chapters long. It's crazy. <clears throat> the difference between an oath and a vow, it, 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 here's the easiest way to say it. Vows refer to an object. So a person prohibits something to themselves. So they, they take a vow to abstain from wine, sex, sex 
food, if they're fasting, whatever it is, certain kinds of food. Um, they'll, they'll take a, all kinds of these things. Or, it, so it, it's either a negative thing, I will refrain from, abstain from something, or I will take a vow to do something. And the vow refers to the thing. An oath refers to the person. A person swears an oath to perform an action or swears that something is true. So the oath pertains to the person. The vow pertains to the thing. I will do something. And the, the worst absolutely worst thing that you can do is the worst vow ever made is in Judges 11, and that is the story of Jephthah. Jephthah was a man who was born in the, the region of Gilead, but his father, his, his mother was a prostitute. And so Gilead himself was, so the, the son of, of uh, Joseph, or Jacob, I mean, was, was his father. So, but the prostitute was his mother. He, he, he had the one Gilead had children, two sons by by his wife, and then Jephthah had uh, was born of this prostitute. And so, when he got grown up, the sons drove him away because they said, "You'll not have an inheritance, for you're the son of another woman." So he fled and went away. And then worthless fellows, we're told, collected around him and went out with him. And after a while, the Ammonites, another people group, came against. Israel and the people of Gilead, then the men of Gilead, went to Jephthah because he had an army-ish kind of a thing and said, we'd like you to lead us. And he said, only if you're going to make me king at the end of this. And so they agreed to do it. So then Jephthah goes out and, and goes against the Ammonites and, and he's ready to do it. And the spirit of the Lord was on Jephthah and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you'll give the Ammonites into my hand, and whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I'll offer it up as a burnt offering. And he did. He went and defeated the Ammonites, and then he came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and dances. She was his only child. Besides he, her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you've brought me very low, and you've become the cause of great trouble for me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And he said to him, My father, you've opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what's gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, the Ammonites. So he did. Jephthah sacrificed his daughter, which is the, one of the most bizarre things in the world. All he had to do is go to the high priest and ask the high priest to annul the vow. Because you don't sacrifice people. And, and um, rabbinic literature says that she raised that article, that, that uh, idea before him as he got ready to, to kill her on the altar. And this is a scene very much like um, Abraham and Isaac. And she says to him, hey, is it legal actually to offer a human being? And the answer is no, it's not. So not only did he make a rash vow, he also sacrificed a human being against all Scripture. And, and what's interesting is, is that, that they come up with this idea that both Jephthah and the high priest at the time, Phineas, are to blame. That Phineas won't suck up his pride and go speak to the, um, to the high priest because he considers himself better than the high priest. And the high priest considers himself superior to Jephthah because Jephthah's a fool. This is all rabbinic literature. This is not in Scripture. And so th they blame both of them and say both of them came to bad ends because of it. 
um, Jephthah, it, it's interesting because the way that we translate it, for instance, in the ESV is, is this. This is uh, Judges 12.7. Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in his city in Gilead. See, it's, it, that's a, not a great way to translate it. Because what it does is it makes a hash of the rabbinic literature on this because what it actually says is that he was buried in the cities of Gilead, which is certainly an odd statement. So what they come up with is the idea that, yep, he was buried in the cities of Gilead because his limbs started falling off. And so he's buried in all these places. If you've ever read The Wizard of Oz, what you'll find is that's what actually happens to the Ten Woodman. That, that the reason he is a tin woodman is because he kept hacking off parts of his body. And so a tinsmith had to build him uh, like a new arm and then another new arm and then a leg and a body and all this kind of head. And so he, he started out as a man and became that because a curse was put on him because he had fallen in love with one of the winky girls. And the winkies are those people that you meet right in the beginning of The Wizard of Oz when, the, when it goes into Technicolor. Anyway, just an aside, but that's what they thought. That's the way they describe what ends up happening to Jephthah. So, I mean, it, you, you, they take these things very, very seriously, and even today they're taken very seriously. Um, it states the punishment, the Talmud does, that uh, for breaking a vow is the death of one's children. It, they're warn, they warn regularly, don't take a vow. And, and they state that someone who does, even if they fulfill the vow— is called wicked and a sinner. So they just don't do that. So even today, when they say things like, I'm, I'm promising to do something for you, they will say along with it, these are observant Orthodox Jews, when they make a promise to do something with you or for you, they will say the um, Hebrew words for without a vow, just to make sure that, that you and God knows that he didn't make a vow when they promised to do this. There are some Jews, the, the hyper-Orthodox, who before um, Rosh Hashanah will go through this ritual called the nullification of vows, and, and it, it's intended to, to make sure that, that they, don't ha- they haven't in, unintentionally taken vows. On Yom Kippur, the entire um, congregation does a nullification of vows, and it's called the Kol Nidre. And so they, it's the opening prayer of the holiday. That's how important they consider it to be. So the opening prayer for, um, for Yom Kippur includes the nullification of, of vows. And, and, the, and it's also considered one of the emotional high points. It's a very strange thing. The, it, the, there's a lot of debate um, in all of that. But but one of the things one of the things that it says is that it's it's the it's it's asking God to forgive. Uh, for infractions on taking vows, there there are some people who who argue that that well that the language actually is not for for the stuff that just happened. It's for the following year. So you're you're kind of you're kind of getting ahead of it and denying these vows in advance. While others say no, it's different than that. But it's interesting because the you're only absolved in Kol Nidre. You only get absolution for vows that you made to God. If you have sinned against uh, another by failing by making a vow and failing to fulfill it, you've got to go directly to that person to do it. I, I, that part of it, I think, is really wonderful. That that where you've disappointed people, you actually have to go seek them out and and uh, ask for their forgiveness for failing to do what you've done. I would probably end up spending most of my year doing that. 
Um, but with with Jephthah, the everybody just the, all the rabbis just think he's an absolute fool, and and none of this actually had it had to happen or should have happened because it was it it was a vow that was really null and void from the beginning when his when his daughter came out. Um, it, they will even say that God hated this vow and thought Jephthah a fool for making it. There are other commentators who will say, well, what really happened? Because she says, let me go and, and have some time, to a couple of months to go and mourn my virginity because she'd never been with a man and she never would be with a man now because he's going to put her to death. And so what people say, some of the commentators will say as well, that she was a perpetual virgin. That was what actually ended up being what Jephthah did, but but most commentators will say no that no 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 that's insane that's not what what happened at all. But I want to point you to one other place where there's a vow that's made or an oath actually that's made, and, and that is in um, Acts twenty three, and it, it's interesting there because what happens is you've got this plot to kill Paul. There's a group of people who, who are so angry with Paul. He's under house arrest, and, and there's this group of people who are so angry with Paul that, that they, they, they are going to kill him, and they actually take an oath that they're going to kill Paul. Um, they bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they've killed him. And so there's 40 people that take, that take this, this oath. So I would be very curious to know what happened to these 40 people who took these this oath about Paul because they didn't kill him? So um, either it's sort of like prisoners who take you know a, a, an oath not to eat or drink. Gandhi did it. <laughs> Most of them break long before that happens. But how does that apply to us? And what is how does it what does it apply? It just says be a person of your word. That's all Jesus is trying to get across here is don't take these foolish vows. Uh, it, it, there's, there's an attempt to say, just, just don't do this at all. Just don't do this. There's no reason for you to take a vow. It's actually why Anabaptists like Mennonites won't participate in courtroom proceedings and don't give um, testimony is because they don't swear oaths because of this passage right here. It is something that we should take seriously. It, that, that's the one place where I would say that you could ever do something like this. Now, if all those were of equal force, then pretty much um, every young person who's ever had too much to drink made a vow the next day in fighting off a hangover, right? So we would have an abundance of clergy in America if we took vows like that as seriously as Jewish people did. But we've got, we've got to understand that we really, if, if we're just people of our word— then there's no reason to ever take a vow, especially these rash vows that come about because of anger. Um, you know, I, I'm mad at somebody, so I, I'll do this, that, and the other thing. Or I, I will vow that you can't do such and such, or I, I'll never, I mean, they'll, they'll vow things like, I'll never benefit from, you know, John or Steve or Bill or, you know, Anne Marie or whoever. That, and, and it's just spite. So a lot of these vows arise out of spite. Um, but but a lot of the time they were coming about because if God does this, then I'll do this. No, no, that, no, that, that's not appropriate. It's not the right way for us to do things in our lives. We need to be people of our word, and we need to just trust God. And we need, need not make these vows that, that we can't fulfill. I mean, if you want to make a vow and say, if God gives me this, then I'll give him 20%, then, then that's fine. Um, but... But the reality is, don't do it at all. 
just don't do it, is what Jesus is saying. But like I said, it was a big, big deal in Judaism, and so it's something that had to be addressed. And and in this, and including this in here, in this material from the Sermon on the Mount, that these are ethics for Christians after the crucifixion. Once the church begins, then these are ethics for Christians that we need to pay attention to. So, yep, if you know, as a Jew, that there's this stuff about vows in Numbers 30 and Deuteronomy 23, what this is intended to say is, don't do any of that stuff. So Jesus is taking away the force of the law by saying, just don't do it. And so again, building a fence around this whole idea of vows and oaths by saying, leave it alone. Don't go anywhere near it. Have nothing to do with it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit.